You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Young Investors Podcast for 2022. We're back. We've had a week off, although your week off probably didn't go quite as as you had planned, right, Hamish? No, it kind of <laughs> kind of turned into two weeks off. Really, I um, right. actually, I've been I've been struck down like many people here in Australia this week. He's got Man, the COVID. It is, it is spreading this week yeah. in Australia. So I'm not alone, yeah. obviously, but. Uh, yeah, I actually had it quite rough the first couple of days. I wasn't expecting it to be as, um, I don't know. I was kind of just expecting, you know, just like kind of fluey symptoms, but I was completely wiped out for a couple of days. So, but I'm yeah. getting better now. So, that's no I'm good. getting there. Oh, at least you're on the mend. Yeah, but you're definitely right in, in what you're saying. Everybody's getting it at the moment. Um, yeah. I just, I just don't see, I just... I think this is it. You know, I just don't think that this is going to be stopped. I was reading a, a, a little thing on the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Mm. Um, it says here, uh, the US reported a record 1.08 million <laughs> COVID-19 infections on Monday as most states work to clear the backlogs after pausing during the New Year's holiday. The reports pushed the seven-day average of daily reported infections to 480,273. Yeah, it's crazy. And you've got to remember that's just what, you know, that's just official testing, right? How many people are getting yeah. it and just realizing, oh, I'll just I'll just stay home and isolate myself. So, yeah. you could imagine that real number is probably like three to five million cases yeah, probably. in a single day, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's it's kind of, obviously, I'm no expert, but it looks like it's just kind of past a point where we can stop it. It's oh, kind yeah. of just like, we just have to try and do our best now. You know, everyone's kind of got our, our, our vaccines now. I think we just have to try and do the best we can with it because especially with this Omicron stuff, it seems like it is just spreading, spreading, spreading like you would not believe. Yeah. Although it seems to be less uh, less severe. But yeah, just um, just crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how this one variant can be that much more infectious and it's just going, Phew. and I guess- over the holiday period where everyone's kind of hanging out with friends and family, that 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 doesn't help either, I guess. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Yeah, everyone's gathering with uh, with uh, people that they don't normally see as well, sometimes from, you know, different places, like you're seeing family from, from far away as well. So, you're kind yeah. of spreading it in that way as well. But yeah, I think a lot of people are hoping that this is kind of where it spreads really wide. It's a lot less severe. So, it's it's much better than if it was, you know, more severe, if it was Delta that spread this quickly. Um, and uh, we get a whole lot of natural immunity and hopefully this is the last big wave that we, we see. But- you know, Fingers crossed. We'll, we'll never know. I mean, we're so. How, I mean, when did this start? This started a full, almost well over two years ago now. So, yeah, yeah. it's really uh, it's COVID nineteen. So yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty crazy. <laughs> pretty crazy. Now, uh, you, well, I guess technically, did you just caught COVID twenty twenty two, or would you have caught COVID twenty one? Uh, twenty twenty two. Oh, well, I don't. I don't know. Actually, who yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. it'd be funny if now uh, COVID nineteen cases are, are now down to zero, but uh, COVID twenty two cases are through the roof. <laughs> Imagine if it just gets updated. <laughs> yeah. 
That'd be weird. Um, but anyway, that sucks that you've got to got the Rona. But yeah. uh, oh, I'm glad that you're you're getting better. And uh, good on you for for being still being able to do the podcast. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll see. We're only a couple of minutes yeah, in, that's, so we'll- <laughs> that's true. You already forewarned me just before we started that you might uh, might get through the podcast and then go and take a nap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> so, I'll be I'll probably be done for the day after this. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how we go. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we've still got a fair bit to cover. First uh, mm. first episode of 2022. Well, I guess technically the last episode was, but the uh, first recorded episode in 2022. Um, Charlie Munger's jumped the jumped the gun and he's got his 13F out early. So, we'll talk about that. Love it. Uh, Rivian plunged 11.2% overnight. So, I'll talk about that. Um, I saw this pop up in the in the news as well. The Elizabeth Holmes mm. trial. We, we saw a conclusion to that. We were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Yes. And uh, KFC partnering with Beyond Meat. So, some interesting stuff to talk about. How are you going to, are you going to, is your voice going to hold up, get through this sponsor bit? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Today's this episode, episode is, is sponsored by- <coughs> Clear the throat. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So, you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker or by doing it manually one by one or by using Excel. And then it will basically track all of the different types of gains. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you buy shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. And then uh, you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used to track the performance of your portfolio, as well as used at tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link, sign up to a free plan, track up to 10 holdings for as long as you want. Or you can also use that link to sign up to a paid premium plan for more features and get four months off a yearly subscription when you use that link. So go check it out if you're interested. Yeah. Thanks to ShareSite for continuing the sponsorship during uh, throughout 2022. That Thank should you. be good. Um, now, Hamish, before we uh, before we get started into the news, mm. I went back. <laughs> I went back to this time last year because I remember we were making all sorts of predictions and I found the podcast where we made all of our 2021 predictions. Uh-oh. So, yeah, you're right. It is. Oh, <laughs> so I wrote down all, all that we said and what actually happened. We made four predictions last okay. year. We, we, I, I asked you, well, and, and answered myself. I asked you, what's, what would happen to the ASX? What would happen to the mm. S&P 500? What would happen to Tesla? And what would happen to Bitcoin? And uh, the results are in. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start with the ASX. So mm. what uh I said it was going to be down in mm. 2021. Uh Hamish, you said it was going to be uh relatively flat. You said within 5% either up or down. Okay. It was actually up 13% <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> so uh bad luck. You got, we got that one wrong. <laughs> yeah but, I, I mean we got all of these wrong <laughs> yeah we did we did you already yeah so um s&p 500 is next hamish again you said it would be uh flat you you actually your wording was i would be very surprised if it did another 15 to 20 percent mm, year mm-hmm. Eat my word there. <laughs> uh, i said it would simply end the year down and it ended the year up 26.9 26 
26.9% oh return from the S&P 500 2021. Well, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I, yeah, I'm that's, very surprised as well. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, 26% in any year is crazy. Um, but given what happened over the past year in the markets and what businesses mm. were doing, uh, it's complete insanity. And so. it's ridiculous. Like you, you can understand if a business like a particular business has a really good year and it goes up 26, 27%. But like mm. this is the S&P 500. This is the collection of the 500 largest companies in America. This isn't just like uh, Tesla doing a 10X or something. This is like yeah. all of them, you know, collectively the average. <laughs> which is uh, pretty phenomenal, 27% rise. So, yeah, we definitely got that one wrong as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The next prediction was Tesla stock. Mm -hmm. And Hamish, you said you didn't want to make a prediction, but you said it was (laughs) going to be down. I also said Tesla was going to end the year down. Uh, It was up 50% in 2021. (laughs) So, we we didn't do too well on that one either. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, and then our last one uh, was Bitcoin. Hamish, you said down. I also said down. We actually agreed at the time that this was probably the easiest one to predict. <laughs> Do you like that? <laughs> oh, boy. What happened? Um, Bitcoin was up 57% for mm. the year. Yeah. 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 So, yeah of uh, course it was. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it was. <laughs> so, last year, we got a grand total of zero out of four. <laughs> Good job, us. Yeah. I think, honestly, it if, if there is something you can take out of this, it does really show you that markets are unpredictable and that people cannot predict what's going to happen. Um, yeah. I, I mean, for, for, each, for each one of these different uh, guesses that we took, I'd actually say that we, we took the rational approach. We didn't just- We didn't like- just throw a we just we we weren't just saying like ah oh, S&P 500 ah who knows it'll probably go up we actually for each one of those we answered quite rationally yeah uh, and spoke about why we think you know Tesla it looked like it was in a bubble so it's more likely that it'll end up down bitcoin's a bubble so blah 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 but i guess this is just this kind of reminds you of that uh stock market quote that, you know, the markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. But I guess in this case, the quote is the market can stay irrational longer than our podcast predictions can last. <laughs> longer um, than you expect. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it definitely does show you, like, even just us having a little fun guess, like we didn't put any stock in, in our guesses last year. It was just a bit of fun. But it does show you that really markets are pretty damn hard to predict accurately because they can just be irrational for a very long period of time. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. Last year, what happened to the markets last year amazed me, um, and it continues to amaze me what is happening. Um, considering rising inflation, and I mean, I, I guess money that there's so much cheap money still available, and that's just fueling all kinds of markets. Whether it's mm. the the stock market, whether it's the crypto market, whether it's NFTs, all of these markets are are roaring on all engines. Um, mm. So you know, we'll. We'll see. Um, we, we never know when that's going to come to its end. Um, mm. But uh, it, it is fun. I, I think it's fun to make 
little predictions, even though there is a massive caveat that, like you said, that we're yeah, not- we, a- we're we not, don't know. We're not actually making a prediction. No, we're just no, having fun. None of those were actually, you know- We didn't bet. Yeah, ex- exactly. They're not actually what we reasonably thought would happen. We have no idea what's going to happen over the course of a year. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but having said that, I'm now going to make us also predict for 2022. Uh, okay. <laughs> For a bit of fun, right. man. You're just like, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> um, all right. So let's let's start. Let's start yeah. with COVID. So let's make okay. a COVID prediction. Do you think COVID will still be relevant for most people this time next year? Do you think there'll still be a lot of restrictions? Do you still think it'll be hitting the news headlines every night? What what are your COVID predictions? Um oh, that's a good that's a good question. I think that we will still be talking a lot about COVID. I think that I I don't know actually. In terms of restrictions, I guess is maybe an easy one to kind of think about. I think that there will still be significant restrictions in place, I think, particularly when it comes to like international kind of travel um, movement between different countries, I think is probably where we'll see a lot of restrictions still in place. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't know. I would imagine things are a lot less uh, involved than they are right now. But that's maybe not too much of a prediction considering things are like at peak kind of. You know, it's just spreading like wildfire at the moment. So, but I, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, obviously, I don't know either. But I would, my prediction would be that if this Omicron variant just continues to spread mm. um, and just takes over, I probably would say we'll be talking about COVID much less because the way I see it is we've had two two jabs. All of us have pretty much had two jabs so far. And now some people are going in for their third jab, um, which makes you something like 95 or 98% effective against the virus, something like that. Don't quote me on it. Um, But if we have most people around the world have had their third jabs by this time next year and Omicron's basically given it to everybody by that time, I, I, I would actually predict that maybe- it we could kind of be over the hill and not talking about it as much. I mean, we'll probably still be talking about it a lot, but I think there is a possibility that in twelve months' time, there there won't be as many restrictions. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go the opposite approach. I'm gonna say there won't be as many restrictions. I think that international travel will be lighter. Uh, mm. Sorry, well, the the restrictions on international travel will be lighter. But obviously, could be wrong. So that's interesting. Yeah. We we kind of have a differing. Oh, well, differing no, no, no. Just there. just to be clear, I think they will be lighter. I just think there still will be some. Oh, this, oh, there will okay, still right, be right. restrictions in place. Yeah, but yeah okay. I mean, you just don't know. With with um, I mean, we, we obviously we have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, <laughs> even with this Omicron variant, I mean, the vaccine is basically zero percent effective against preventing transmission. Still protect, yeah. protects against severe disease, but it's basically the studies are coming out now that are showing that if you are unvaccinated versus double dosed, um, there's basically no difference in your ability to catch the the, the virus. Catch so, it and pass it on. Um, right. Okay. That's, that's a massive change in how the virus has adapted um, and it could continue to adapt in ways where we need new vaccines that protect in a different way. So, um, okay. who knows what's going to happen, honestly. But yeah, it's tricky. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I would, right. I'd like to imagine that it would be less. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Man, because I'm getting bloody over it. I tell you that much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and I imagine you're even more so because you've actually got it at the moment. Yeah. Poor bugger. 
All right, let's go on to interest rates. What's your prediction for interest rates in um, the US? In the US, like what will they be? Yeah, what will they be? Or just more okay. generally, how many um, rate rises do you think? Do you think we're gonna? Because obviously, it's quite hard to predict hmm. what I they're think, gonna be. I think we'll see a number of rate rises. I'm not gonna. Oh, I mean, I guess you oh, you forced me into making a guess about how I many. Will. Let's say. Uh, I think there'll be more than they expect. So they're expecting three. Uh, let's say there will be four. I'm going to okay. say there's going to be four rate hikes. Yeah. Um, I think there will be more than they expect because I think this wave in particular of COVID will put a lot of people um, out of work. And I think that's going to affect the supply side, um, supply chain issues much, much more. And I think inflation is going to continue to roar, especially over the next couple of months. So mm. I think that's going to drive their decision to push a little bit more on, on rate hikes this year. Yep, I'm going to say probably the same. I'm going to say right now they're expecting to do th- the Fed is expecting to do three 0.25% rate hikes in 2022. And I think they may do three, they may do four, they may do five, but I think that we will get more than a 0.75% interest rate rise total in yeah. 2022. I think it will be higher than that. I wouldn't be surprised if interest rates are like at three or four percent by the end of the year. Yep. So, but that's I don't know. Obviously, it 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 purely depends on inflation. But if inflation keeps going up as it is, I think that they will have to. I mean, the Fed's been so conservative and trying to stay on the conservative side of not doing anything, and consistently they've had to do more than what they said they would do. Yeah. Um, so I think that will continue. All right. What do you think, uh, S and P five hundred, up or down? Just a simple one. Um, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to say same as last year. I think um, approximately flat. Give okay. or take 5%. I'm going to say I'm going to say down. I'm going to say what I said last year. I'm going to say down. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, probably it'll go up 50% this year, but- Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll is, say This down. is what will happen. The, there'll be 15% inflation. Um, they'll do like 10 rate hikes and the market will go up 20 20- one percent there we go that's that's my backup <laughs> prediction in case the other one fails <laughs> all right fair enough fair enough um game stop up or down um, or flat down i'm pretty yeah. uh, i'm pretty confident well <laughs> you said that last year <laughs> i said that, you last, said that year. last year no I, I think i mean look if you look at the business fundamentally it should be a lot lower not just a by a margin a lot lower than it is now so on a fundamental basis you know, if you gave me five years, I would be extremely confident. But even with one, I'll I'll, I'll make my prediction that it will be lower mm. by quite a bit. Um, I agree. I definitely agree. Game stop down. Um, Tesla. Two more. We'll do Tesla, then we'll do Bitcoin, then we'll move on. Tesla. Um, do you want I'm me to give my prediction? Say, give, yeah, give your prediction. Yeah. I reckon Tesla will be flat. Mm, that's actually what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, really? And yeah. I think it, I think it will be flat because I I don't think I don't think anything wild can happen in 2022, which just makes people go, "Oh my god, this stock is going to the moon." I think the performance of Tesla in 2022 will be strong, like operationally, because they've got gigafactories and whatnot coming online. But I think it will be more of a case of the the solid operational performance 
helps them grow in closer into that market cap. Obviously, they got a lot of growing to do, but mm. I think it will just be a case of their business will start to grow into the market cap that the market has already assigned for it. Mm. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that like full self driving will be finished this year. No. So I don't think they'll uh, recognize any like robo taxi or any revenue like that. Um, yeah. But I, I just think they'll see a lot more revenue and profitability this year, just because they've got those gigafactories coming online from uh, from uh, production and deliveries of their vehicles. That's what I reckon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tesla's stock price is so far disconnected from what the business is doing right now that it's it's very difficult to make a prediction rationally about what will happen to it in the future because um if i just look at the business then you know rationally i can say flat or down um but that's just not how the stock price kind of functions for tesla at least at the moment so yeah i'll 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 stick with you there i'll say i'll say flat approximately flat yeah and last one bitcoin what do you think um i'm saying down i'm saying down Mm. I'm sticking with it. I was wrong last year, but I'm sticking with it. It's going down. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to say Bitcoin will be higher. Okay. I'm going to say Bitcoin's going to be higher. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz of the fundamentals, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just flipped <laughs> no, a coin and it As yeah, <laughs> honestly though, it it probably will be higher. That's actually probably not a bad guess considering just how much traction it's gaining and it continues to gain popularity. Um, all right, cool. Interesting. Well, we actually spent quite a while talking about our predictions, but I'm glad that we've got them down in the podcast. And I know what podcast this is. It's the second one of the year. So we, we shall see Hamish Hodder. We shall see. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) I can see you're like, oh, I don't want to do this because I know I'm just going to get them wrong. (laughs) I just, I just know. I just know Tesla's going to do another 50%. Probably. Uh, but anyway, that was a bit of fun. That was a bit of fun. Of course, mm. don't don't read into anything that we say. We're just having a guess. But um, yeah, yeah. So was, someone fun. sitting there with a notepad and just making trades based off these. Oh gosh. Oh, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> um, all right. What should we talk about next? You want to talk mm. about Elizabeth Holmes? What the hell happened? Yeah, this has been a a long time coming. We've we spoke about Elizabeth we Holmes and uh, the the founder and CEO or former founder and CEO of Theranos, which is the uh, which is the blood testing uh, company from Silicon Valley in, uh, that ended in 2015, I think, where um, they claimed that they could uh, do blood testing on many different tests with just a pinprick of blood. Uh, and it was completely fraudulent. Uh, we've spoken about them on a number of different episodes of the podcast. The trial went for like two months and then um, and then the, the jury went out and the jury took an extremely long time uh, to come back. So, the couple of times that I spoke about it, um, I was kind of expecting that maybe we would have had a decision, but uh, we had to wait until this week. So, after seven full days of deliberation, so that's not seven consecutive days, they have breaks in between, but seven full days of deliberations, which is an extremely long time, uh, she was found guilty on Oof. four of the 11 counts. So, there was 11 charges, 11 different um, things in relation to all of them in relation to fraud um, that uh, the jury was looking into. And that's really why it took so long as well. There's so many details that they had to kind of dive through. Um, But uh, found guilty of four of the 11 counts. So, she was charged with uh, one count or found guilty 
uh, of one count of conspiracy to defraud investors and three counts of wire fraud against investors. So, the counts that she was found guilty for were all related into her making promises to investors, investors saying, that sounds great. That sounds great, Elizabeth. Here's Here's $50 million. And (laughs) uh, then that being a fraudulent transaction. So Right. So, she knew. She knew that her company couldn't do what she said they were going to do. Yeah, intent is like the key in in uh, in, in fraud. So she yeah. intention intentionally lied and deceived investors to get money. There you um, go. So yeah, there you go. And then in terms of the other, so that's obviously only four out of eleven. There's seven other uh, charges that she wasn't found guilty of. So she was acquitted of three. So found not guilty of three. One of them was uh, conspiracy to defraud patients. Um, two charges. And then there was two charges related to patients who had received inaccurate test results. So, um, they basically couldn't prove, I would assume, um, the intention there to defraud patients, um, which is probably very, very difficult to do. Um, then there was one charge that was thrown out earlier in the trial. Um, they didn't let us know what that was. Uh, And then there was actually three other charges which were in deadlock. So, the jury couldn't reach a unanimous decision on those those charges. So, um, that essentially means those charges are considered a mistrial. And it technically means prosecutors can then force another trial to determine whether she is found guilty or whether she is acquitted of those charges. So, um, those charges are not... She's not acquitted of those. She she can still be... um, gone after for those. Um, but it's kind of probably unlikely that she will face trial for those considering she already got found guilty of four and she's probably going to be facing a considerable amount of, of prison time for for the four that she was found guilty of. So, right. Do we know how, how long she's going to be in prison for? No. So, we don't know yet. Um, so, next week they have the sentencing, they set the sentencing date. So, <laughs> we have to wait a week and then they say, all right, uh, the date for sentencing is in six weeks or when, whenever it'll be. So, oh, we don't even okay. know when they will be sentencing her <laughs> at this point. Um, right. So, we'll find that out at some point in the future. However, we do know kind of um, what is uh, normal for these um, for these charges given the law. So, each uh, of yep. the four charges carry a maximum sentence of 20 years in federal prison, um, but it's likely that these will be served concurrently. So, essentially, the judge can allow Holmes to serve each of the 20-year sentences. Let's say she gets the max for each. Um, the judge can allow Holmes to serve them all at the same time. So, um, so she's only in there for 20, say, it, instead it, of like 80. It, exactly, right. So, right. Uh, even though each different charge is 20 years or can be up to 20 years, um, it, it's very unlikely that she will serve 80 years, for example. It's very yeah. likely they'll be allowed to serve concurrently. Um, Interesting. So, so, we just so have to yeah. wait. We have to wait and see what the, what the sentence is. Yeah, exactly. And it's an it's a interesting kind of outcome because it's a case where there's a lot of different individual um, instances of, of fraud that they're trying to prove. Um, and it's really just, can they prove, can they get enough, uh, do they have enough information to prove beyond a reasonable doubt enough charges? Um, because if you look at some of the charges, I think they give you this, they're, they're for specific transactions. So, one of the ones oh. she was found guilty for was, for example, it was um, uh, 
uh, account of wire fraud uh, f- to the amount of, I think it was like $56 million. So it was a specific transaction between an investor and uh, Theranos where right. she lied. So they obviously would have phone calls and maybe emails in regards to that. So it's very complicated. It makes sense that it took so long for them to, to reach a conclusion on some. And it also makes sense that they didn't reach a conclusion on all of the counts, that some of them, there was just, they just weren't sure. They couldn't, they couldn't decide. So mm. um, big props to the jury though, because that is, uh, that's a rough one. I mean, uh, I, I, I think if I got, if I got a letter saying that I, I was um, summoned to to be a juror, I'd be a little bit excited. I think I think it's something interesting <laughs> to kind of do. But then if you got if you got stuck Such with a, a big case, yeah. Oh, by the way, um, it's a it's a fraud case. There's eleven counts. Um, you'll be and you sitting. Can't- <laughs> you'll be sitting in court for two months and then yeah. after that you have to sit with a room of people and deliberate for three weeks. <laughs> yeah, that is a. Big effort. You hope you hope they kept. I don't know what it's like in the US, but I'm sure there's some sort of compensation for their time as being a juror. But oh my gosh, yeah, that that's that's big. And I would just freak out because you you'd want to get it right. Yes, you, because this is like this is have this is going to have a substantial impact on the rest of this person's life. Like, yeah, if yeah. if if they are not guilty, you want to make sure that you you give them not guilty. Um, because if you give the, if you just like, maybe you're a bit sleepy one morning, uh, uh, guilty when really they're not guilty, <laughs> you've just screwed them over. Yeah, um, exactly. And you'd be dealing with a room of people with kind of different levels of understanding of, of the legal system. I mean, some people yeah. would simply just not really grasp the idea of beyond a reasonable doubt that it really needs to be crystal clear mm. uh, that, you know, it's it's in writing, that it's right there. Um, yeah. Some people might not understand that concept and think, yeah, but, they, you know, they probably did it. And that would be a difficult dynamic to, to deal with in the room, um, to deal with these, you know, those, those kinds of people, you know, over multiple days mm. <laughs> going back and forth arguing and trying to reach a unanimous decision. It's not just I get to vote and then that's it. You have to convince the other people. Um, that you're that what you think is right. So yeah, yeah. it was uh, a long trial. It's a big effort. Um, yeah, it's uh, we'll find out, I guess, next week when the sentencing will be, and then we'll eventually find out in a couple months' time. Yeah, we'll, we'll revisit it quickly later. I'm sure. Yeah, we'll cover that on the podcast just to conclude the story. I guess. Yeah, exactly right. Um, all right, should we talk about Charlie Munger a little? Yeah, bit? we should. Yeah, this, yeah, this came out of the blue. This was out of. Uh, I didn't yeah, expect no. this. Well. Charlie Munger, good on him. He turned 98 on New Year's Day. How crazy is that? He's Amazing. 98 years old, born on the uh, the 1st of January. Wow. Good on him. But uh, he is not one to mess about when he releases his 13 Fs. He doesn't mess about at all. <laughs> you know, this is the obviously the, the document that tells us what they've been buying and selling in the most recent quarter. And they've got 45 mm. days after the quarter to fight. Like the big investors have 45 days to file this this uh, this uh, this form with the SEC. So, most of them just wait. They just wait until the 45 days are up. But not Charlie Munger. He released his 13F for the Daily Journal Corp on the 4th of January. <laughs> Quarter ends four days later. Here you go. Um, and for, for a little bit of context about Charlie Munger, uh, most people probably know this, but it, maybe if you don't, uh, Charlie Munger, he is like the master of doing nothing. Um Usually his 13Fs say, I did nothing this quarter, 
Thank you very much for listening. (laughs) Um, For example, before 2021, his last 13F portfolio change was in 2014 when he reduced 85% in POSCO, which is the Korean steel manufacturer, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Um, But of course, in 2021, he started making headlines because he started buying shares in Alibaba. So, Mm. in Q1, he bought 165,000 shares. um, And that was between kind of $220 and $270 per share. That was kind of the share price range during Q1. Um, Q2 came and went. He did nothing, even though the shares fell slightly in Q2. But then in Q3, the shares really started to die. He bought another 136,700 shares. And that was between somewhere between 148 on the low end and $221 per share on the high end. Hmm. Um, so, at this point, he's averaging down. He's bought about 300,000 shares. Yep. But in Q4, the shares dropped at one point to a 52-week low of $108.70. So, um, yeah, the share, I think even now the shares are like 120 bucks. so still substantially cheaper than Q3. Mm. Um, so, naturally, all of us value investors, we're wondering, you know, what, what are they- I think um, Guy Spear, Ray Dalio, uh, Charlie Munger, there's quite a few of these value investors that have substantial positions now in Alibaba. So, we're all wondering, mm. what, are they, what are they doing now? Are they going to continue averaging down? And Charlie Munger in Q4, with the share price continuing to tank, he doubled up. He doubled his position in Alibaba. So, he bought another 300,000 shares. Um, So, this position is now roughly equal to his second largest position uh, in his portfolio, which is Wells Fargo, which holds 29% of his portfolio. Alibaba holds 27.65% of his portfolio. So, top spot still remains uh, Bank of America. That's 40% of his portfolio. But uh, Alibaba is now a substantial stake and he is certainly- not holding back on his buying. He's clearly not um, not particularly phased with uh, with all of the kind of question marks that may may hover around Alibaba. And I think that kind of just goes back to his knowledge on China and his his uh, his kind of study in that area and his his understanding of the Chinese governmental and political system. So, but very interesting. Charlie Munger has doubled up on Alibaba. Yeah, it's exactly what you would expect to see from someone who has a strong conviction in a business. Uh, as it continues to fall, continue to buy more. Mm. And as it continues to fall even further, not just buying more, but buying more at a, at a, at a really aggressive rate. Um, because the lower that it goes, you don't want to just add a little bit more. If you have strong conviction in that, in that business, mm, the lower it yeah. goes, you want to be buying even more. Um, so it, it's kind of what you would completely expect from someone who has a strong conviction in the stock versus if you bought a lot, saw the stock price fall 50%. If you didn't have strong conviction, you would kind of feel nervous about adding more. Um, that did yeah. you, you know, did, did I miss something? Did I, did I accidentally buy it overvalued? Um, that's not what we're seeing with Charlie Munger. He's, he's going full steam ahead Yeah, pretty um, much. at averaging down his position. So, yeah, very good. And it's interesting, the share price is still absolutely smashed, but things are starting to look a little bit brighter for Alibaba. Like one of the big question marks has been pretty, I would say, pretty much removed. So, the China Securities Regulatory Commission has said they are not at all looking to delist stocks that are currently using the VIE structure. They have no Mm. intention to to disrupt what what they've done. Um, Recently, Alibaba held their uh, annual investor day 
per- I haven't actually been able to watch it yet, but I did watch because uh, I was in Adelaide when it happened. I watched a couple of uh, summary videos from Investing with Tom, mm. and um, they the Alibaba looks to be going from strength to strength. Uh, from September 2020 to September 2021, uh, they grew their annual active customers. From 1.035 billion to 1.238 billion, so a 20% increase. Um, 953 million of those users are in China and 285 million are international. So, for context here, there are 1.4 billion people in China, 1.2 billion of those people have access to the internet, and 953 million are a customer of Alibaba. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, they've certainly captured a quite a substantial portion of the market. Um, so it's very impressive. So they continue to. This is part of their plan. I'll talk about their plan in a second. But they they want to continue their user growth. Obviously, uh, in terms of revenue, they saw a thirty nine percent year over year rise in revenue, forty one percent year over year rise in China commerce revenue, forty seven percent rise in international commerce revenue, and thirty seven percent year over year rise in cloud computing as well. So, I mean, their revenue continues to skyrocket. Um, they're also finding really strong retention. Uh, on their consumer businesses, people that shop there often come back, spend more, the higher spenders. There's a very high retention rate for high spenders on their platforms, which is great. Um, the CEO was discussing their, their, their pillars of future growth. It's going to be user growth, uh, increased spend per user, and future value creation, particularly for their merchants. And that's their, their, uh, their kind of three-pillared growth approach. And their 2036 targets remain the same. So, they want to achieve 2 billion global customers, create 100 million jobs, and, ten, and enable 10 million profitable SMEs. So, Wow. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff in there. I, I need to go through it with a fine tooth comb and and really get back up to speed with it because I just haven't had an opportunity yet. But um, there's certainly a, a lot of positivity um, in that report. Um, obviously, the China Securities Regulatory Commission is not um, not looking to delist VIE. So there's a couple of things I think over the next. If I had to predict, I don't know, but I'd say over the next couple of months you'll probably see a lot of the negativity surrounding a company like Alibaba start to dissipate um, as things Mm. kind of just, I think they had that phase of negative news and now it's kind of starting to dissipate, but who knows? But yeah, there you go. Charlie Munger doubles up on Alibaba. There you go. Wow. So, when when should we expect to see the other 13Fs? Is that mid-Feb? You were Yeah, it'd be halfway through Feb. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. So we've got a while to wait. Yeah, he, he really did jump the gun. Yeah. What it is like the fourth day after uh after the quarter ended. Yeah. Although yeah. to be honest, I don't think he shifts the market very much. Yeah. So a lot yeah. like a lot of those investors, they hold it back because they know that they shift the market. Uh, especially right. Warren Buffett, like the Buffett effect is strong. So, of course, yep. someone like if he's adding to a particular position, he wants the maximum amount of time before the public knows what he's doing. Yeah. And he's actually yeah. worked in the past with uh, the SEC. He's Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway have said, hey, look, we will report this publicly, but can we keep it private even after the 45-day period so we can establish our position mm. before we announce that we're buying this stock and it becomes public information and the Buffett effect kicks in and the share price goes up? So Yeah, that's crazy. It's yeah, crazy that he's able to do that. <laughs> it is pretty crazy that he can get an exemption like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there you go. That's the story right. with Alibaba. That's the story with Charlie Munger. There's only only one change. That's why we're just talking about Alibaba because that was it. That's that's the only thing that he did. Um, but not not unexpected. Anyway, hmm. 
Talk to me. What's KFC doing? Yeah, KFC's making some moves. So they've uh, they've uh, KFC. What's the headline here? KFC restaurants across the US will add Beyond Meat's plant based chicken to menus starting Monday for a limited time. Oh, so okay. They're making moves in the in the they are. vegetarian plant based chicken market. <laughs> That's interesting, actually. I, yeah. Honestly, I wouldn't have expected KFC to do something like I, I would have thought they'd just stick to their guns. It's like people know, people come to us. We got no problem with the amount of customers. We sell fried chicken. Everyone knows that. We'll just keep selling it. But it's interesting that they offer a, an option now. I wonder how successful this will be. Anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Well, I think <laughs> it's I think it's been a lot easier for for companies like Beyond Meat, for example, to mimic beef. Um, just because the texture of beef is is not yeah. that difficult to kind of um, to to replicate to, to you know to a reasonable extent, chicken yeah. is a lot more difficult. Um, so you what remember trying, when we had you yeah. remember sorry to butt in you remember no. when we had those Beyond Meat burgers when we we're in Sydney? Yeah, yeah, that, that was good. Yeah, yeah that I, was really I, I good. Got, yeah, I like Beyond Meat stuff. I think it's I think it's really good. It's not my first preference, um, but uh, but I think it's good. Um, yeah. And I think I'm sure for a lot of people, it's a good way to kind of transition um, if that's what you're looking to do, or even just to you know I don't know mix it up, change things up. It's a d- different thing to try, but. Yeah, when it comes to chicken, I think it's it's for a while a lot of like the the plant based chicken stuff has been kind of the consistency of like chicken nuggets. It's kind of just ground yeah. up, kind of not actual chicken breast. Um, and uh, yeah, so for for years apparently, Yum Brands, which owns KFC and Beyond Meat, have been uh, working on testing and creating uh, a meat substitute that mimics the taste and texture of whole muscle chicken like chicken breast so right, okay um so that i guess they, they can sell kind of um pieces of chicken that are not you know nugget like um so in 2019 this is kind of where it all started to kind of started some of their moves that, when they started making some of these moves in 2019 they did a kfc ran a test with a green pop-up kfc in atlanta so you might have do you remember seeing this they uh they kind no, of re- so. they rebranded a kfc in uh um, in Atlanta and made it all green and it was a big test to, to try and sell um, plant-based chicken and they sold plant-based chicken and uh, they ran for five hours and then they sold out their entire supply. So um, it was extremely popular. Wow. Um, a lot of people were interested in in, in trying this um, and, uh, and seeing uh, what they had to offer. And then following that, last year, Beyond Meat and Yum Brands entered an exclusive partnership through which Beyond Meat would make plant-based substitutes exclusively for Yum Brand restaurants. So that's KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. So um, Yeah, I remember that actually, yeah. Yeah, so they, they ran a little test in, in 2019. Then after that, they entered a partnership and um, they're going to be doing this uh, on, a, on an ongoing basis. So um, the, the US president of KFC said, this is really where customer uh, where the customer is going. They, uh, they want to eat more plant-based proteins. Uh, he went on to say, it's January, so it's a time for New Year's resolutions and wanting to do something different in your diet. So they're really trying to capitalize on, on that start of year um, feeling that a lot of people have about changing something about their their life. And I guess for a lot of people, it's in relation to diet, um, maybe not eating meat in re- to, to protect the environment or, or for, for animal welfare or, or whatever it is. Um, so they're trying to capitalize on that by... Uh, 
by, by uh, starting to introduce this now. There was something yeah. interesting at the end of the article that I thought was, um, I don't know, it was kind of strange. So the end of the article said, however, KFC will not be targeting vegans and vegetarians directly with its marketing because Beyond Fried Chicken is made using the same equipment yeah. as KFC's traditional fried chicken, which makes sense, you know, for, for something that's a very small part, is going to be a very small part of their business, at least for now. Um, it, it, you know, it makes sense not to, for, you know, on, a, on an efficiency basis, not to have an entire grill that's dedicated yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that's their direct audience i would Mm. imagine um but maybe not maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe there's they're trying to i mean i guess they are trying to capture people who are kind of on the fence or are willing to have a mix of both and just are willing to try something but are not fully vegan so they're not actually you know they don't really care if it was made in the same fryer i don't know what do you i think think yeah i i I think you're on the money there because uh, even for for myself um I am not a vegetarian and I'm not certainly not a vegan by any stretch, but I try not to eat meat. Like if I can, if I can avoid it, I try not to eat meat, um, mainly because of the environmental stuff um, that, that I kind of believe in. Mm. Uh, and I think there are a lot of people like that, you know, um, a lot of people now are cluing into the fact that we should generally eat less meat kind of in terms of sustainability. Uh, We don't need to eat the kind of amounts, the quantities of meat that we do consume each, each day or each week. So, I think there are a lot of people that aren't necessarily vegan or vegetarian, but will still definitely take KFC up on this option to try it out. And I think exactly you're exactly correct um, that you say, uh, the only reason that it's not vegan is because it'll be kind of fried up in the same vats that everything else is fried up in. Uh, mm. But I think you're right. I think it would be too expensive for them because this is just a test, right? It would be way too tough for them to bring in new equipment or clean out some of the old equipment so that, and dedicate one fryer just for the the vegan stuff. That that would just, I think, that would really mess up their their in store uh, processes, and it would just be very very difficult because they still have to obviously serve a certain amount of fried chicken every day as well. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah. They don't want to. They don't want to take away a vat for for fried chicken just to dedicate it to plant based fried chicken. That would just screw their their numbers up. But um, yeah. but yeah, I think uh, I think that this is interesting. One thing that it stands out stands out to me is that I think this is very smart from Beyond Meat, mm. and I think this is um, this is something that has continued because it wasn't that long ago, maybe a year or two on the podcast, that we were saying how we don't. We're a bit hesitant to look into Beyond Meat because they were a small company. And if they are successful, we were saying, oh, the big players like KFC or McDonald's uh, are just going to use, you know, peanuts of their budget. But that will be like more than the entire market cap of Beyond Meat. They could just put that (laughs) towards R&D and just make a way better option if it turns out that this is the next big thing, this plant-based meat. So, I actually think this is really smart from Beyond Meat to actually get in there. And and you you noted that they did, you know, they in 2019, they ran a test. Uh, was that with Beyond Meat or was that with someone? Yes, it was. That was with Beyond Meat. Last year, Beyond Meat and Yum Brands entered an exclusive partnership. The one I can remember as well is that they partnered last year with PepsiCo. Mm. Um, to to create a line of plant-based snacks. Um, 
And I think it's really smart for Beyond Meat to actually get in there with these brands and say, no, 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 don't, don't worry about doing it yourself. Partner with us. Give us a try so that hopefully if it all goes well, McDonald's or KFC, Yum Brands, whatever, they go, oh, that was really successful, that thing we did with Beyond Meat. Let's just mm. do that again. Let's just partner even more with Beyond Meat instead of, oh, let's put in all the time, effort, energy, and money into developing our own fried yes. chicken, plant-based chicken, plant-based meats. Let's just get Beyond Meat to do it because it was so successful when we partnered with them. So, I think that's really clever for Beyond Meat to actually get in there and force those handshakes and say, no, 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 don't do it yourself. Partner with us and see how it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it allows these big, these big restaurant chains to kind of test- this new market without committing a ton of money to it as well. Um, yeah. They just partner with Beyond Meat. Obviously, they have to put money into it themselves. But yeah, but it's like Beyond Meat, develop- you do your thing. Yeah, yeah they, don't have help to- us. they don't have to develop their own team yet. They don't have to do research and development on developing their own patties or whatever it is themselves. Um, mm. They can do these tests and maybe they form a long-term relationship. Maybe a co- one of these companies buys Beyond Meat and just absorbs them into their business and that becomes the the plant-based wing of McDonald's or, or, or Yum! Brands or whatever it is. Um, or they, they develop their own kind of um, segment. Or it's not a long-term popular, you know, trend, which I think it is, but, or yeah. it isn't. And it, you know, it, it, that's just not what, you know, doesn't go that way. So, mm. um, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see, we'll, we'll see what happens. I hope they do this in Australia. Cause I always like trying these kind of new things, these new plant-based, um, yeah, some of them are things. really good. Some of them are crazy. Some of them um, suck. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are awful. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of awful <laughs> plant-based meat. <laughs> Yeah. But and, some and of them are good. And I think that's why brand power has kind of value in this space. Like beyond me, whenever I see that, um, if I see that at the supermarket, for example, I know, oh, I've tried that before. Um, and I know yeah. that it's good. Whereas I look at all these other brands and I'm like, I don't know if that's good or not. I don't know if I'm just about to buy a, a piece of rubber. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. So very mm. interesting. We'll see how it goes. I hope it, I hope it goes really, really well for them. Hmm. I hope they get a lot of takers on this KFC chicken, plant-based chicken. Yes. Um, give us some um give us some updates on Rivian. Yeah, Rivian's my, interesting. I just my looked at favorite stock. Yeah, your your favorite stock. I, I told stock. you I put all my money in Rivian, right? Yeah, all in Rivian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've made a few videos about that. Or are you all in something else this week? <laughs> <laughs> wrong channel. <laughs> yeah, wrong channel. Okay, anyway. Um Rivian stock plunges eleven point two percent overnight. After news of an Amazon Stellantis partnership. Uh oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Stellantis is, of course, uh, the new name of Fiat Chrysler after they merged with uh, the ah. French PSA group that owns Peugeot, Citroën, Opel, and Vauxhall. And that happened in 2021. Um, so that's who we're talking about when we say Stellantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the article says Stellantis, the automaker formerly known as Fiat Chrysler, said Wednesday that Amazon will provide its in-car dashboard software and cloud services. Amazon mm-hmm. will also be the first commercial customer of Stellantis's Ram ProMaster battery electric vehicle slated for 2023. Uh, and that is essentially that vehicle is just a big uh, electric van um, oh no! Yeah, but ex- yeah, I can I can see I thought, that. I thought Rivian had the the electric van deal. I thought Rivian yeah, was going to be exactly Rivian was going to be making millions of vehicles for for Amazon. Exactly. <laughs> 
It says the collaboration between the two companies comes two months after Amazon-backed electric vehicle Rivian debuted on the NASDAQ. Shares of Rivian, which named Amazon its preferred cloud provider in December and has a contract to make 100,000 vehicles for Amazon by 2030, uh, Rivian fell 11% in Wednesday's trading session. Stellantis shares moved up 0.3%. So, Rivian investors are getting a little bit worried that this signals that Amazon might be shopping around for new electric vehicle partners for their delivery vans. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just say Rivian investors are reacting to fundamental to like news, like something that actually related to the company? That doesn't I make know. Any sense. I don't think so. I no. know. I think Rivian investors <laughs> actually look at what's Not going sure. on at the company. Yeah, it can't be, can't be, no, can't be. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> obviously this is interesting because- uh, big part of the Rivian thesis is that Amazon owns 20% of Rivian. They have placed 100,000 van orders with the company. So, obviously, yeah, as you're you're talking about, it doesn't look great, or as you're alluding to, it doesn't look great if they now turn around and they start making deals with Stellantis for electric vehicles. Rivian Shell's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I thought that we were capturing all of Amazon's business here turns out we're not. Mm. Um, so, then there's also question marks like, okay, well, we, th- we knew that 100,000 vehicles, van orders w- were placed, but will this be, will this turn into 200,000, 300,000, 400,000? Or actually now, maybe it won't. Maybe it is just 100,000. But then again, Amazon still owns 20% of Rivian. So, there's that factor to consider as well. Um So, anyway, what did Amazon have to say? Let's have a listen to what Amazon said. Well, a spokesperson for the company told CNBC, quote, We always knew that our ambitious sustainability goals in our last mile operations would require multiple electric delivery van providers. Uh, Quote, we continue to be excited about our relationship with Rivian, and this doesn't change anything about our investment collaboration or order size and timing. So, there you go. Maybe this uh, Rivian-Amazon partnership wasn't quite as exclusive as Rivian investors uh, Mm. were hoping for. Yeah. I mean, if I was Amazon, I would just dump the entire 20% stake right now. You make make a nice tidy tidy (sighs) profit there. Jeez, you'd make some money. Yeah, I think that would make it 10x or something on their investment. Make a lot of money. It it was pretty high. So, then I guess they kind of- ruin any future relationship with Rivian. Yeah, and they also ruin Rivian in the process. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. didn't even know that they'd have to announce that they were selling and then the, if, if Amazon sold, like, they would just tank the share price, Rivian would just die. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, very, but interesting. interesting. But no, I, I don't know. I don't know if I buy into what the Amazon spokesperson said, but I, I guess it makes sense. I don't actually know how many delivery vans Amazon needs. Um, how like is it a hundred thousand? Do they need five hundred thousand? Do they need two million? I've just got no idea how many delivery vans they actually need. But um, yeah, it doesn't give you confidence in Rivian's ability to deliver because if they have a twenty percent stake in Rivian, you would imagine if it was possible that they would want to be exclusive. They would in, yeah. in buying from Rivian. That's a good. That point. would be the best benefit. That would be create the maximum benefit for Amazon. The only reason they would look elsewhere is if. They doubted their ability to to do it, or they thought they could get a better deal somewhere else. Um, exactly. So yeah, it doesn't look great, and it makes sense that the stock fell yeah. considerably on this because, regardless of yeah what this spokesperson says about 
about how 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 excited they are. <laughs> yeah, um, I think actions speak louder than words. Exactly. So. I think yeah, because the per- person was like, "Well, we always knew how ambitious our sustainability goals were." I think that's basically code for saying that Rivian are not going to be able to make these vans yeah. anytime soon. No. So we need we- to try and source uh, if we're going to meet our sustainability goals we need to source some other electric vans that uh, are going to be here sooner which is kind of a bit worrying considering they said that this van from Stellantis is going to be out in 2023 so that's like well <laughs> Rivian all of this year are not going to create any vans fans oh, I don't know but uh, anyway very interesting uh just shows you really the fragility of Rivian stock like 11.2% gone just over news that Amazon isn't, they're not doing anything different with Rivian. They're just mm. also doing a partnership with somebody else. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoop, pretty, uh, Rivian stock's pretty sensitive to, to Amazon's moves. Uh, mm. It's pretty interesting. Let's anyway. make a, let's make a Rivian prediction for the end of the year. Oh, all right. Rivian how, prediction. How, what percentage is Rivian going to be down? <laughs> You don't even give me an option. You know, like, is, is Rivian going up or down? Your question is, what percent is Rivian going down? Yeah, <laughs> I, sta- I stand by that. No, <laughs> uh, no. Nah, nah. What, what do you think I'd probably say, uh, I, honestly, I think, I think a lot. I think a high percent. I think it's going to lose a big percentage because I think- I don't think people realize like how hard Tesla found it to make electric vehicles in the early days. Yeah. They, they found, they, they, were, they found it very hard um, and it chewed up a lot, a lot of money in the process. Um, so honestly, just looking at how difficult Tesla found it, I would say that Rivian stock will probably will not be very popular this year. Um, I think they'll have to start releasing quarterly reports and, this, the progress won't be what investors expect. I think they'll be expecting like Tesla now level growth out of Rivian, but they will get Tesla 10 years ago growth, which yeah. won't impress them. So I, I reckon that Rivian will probably be down like 60% or potentially more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say about 50%. Yeah. I think they'll be down. Yeah. I think it's just going to be a, a painful realization from investors that the growth story is not as as sweet as what they are expecting. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and I don't hope that to happen. I hope that Rivian really crushes it because they actually have a good truck. They make a good vehicle. So I hope they do well. And obviously, I'm rooting for electric vehicles full stop. I'm a big sustainability nut. So I hope they do really well. I just think reality will probably say something different. I hope the business does well. I yeah. absolutely hope the, hope the business does well. But I also think, I also like when- when, uh, well, I guess we kind of do like when markets are irrational because it gives us an opportunity to invest in them when they're really cheap. When they're but cheap, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't like seeing when they're irrational on the high side. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what we do not like. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah we'll All see. Right. We'll see what happens. All right. Should we, uh, just squeeze in one or two Q and A questions? Yeah. Where do you want to, where should we go? Well, this is an easy one. Hamish, why didn't you keep your mustache? <laughs> <laughs> You hated because that I, thing. Because I never grew one. That's why. <laughs> I never had one to begin with. I just, I saw one of my videos uh, yesterday that mm. were, when I did have my moustache from November and I was like, oh my God, that thing is disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's no, no good. Yeah, maybe, maybe one day, give me like another three to five years and then maybe I'll be able to produce something that's reasonable. Mm. 
and then maybe. How about, I'll ask you this one. This is a bit of a chunky one, but uh, it's a mm-hmm. good question. Uh, are you more of an old school Graham Dodd, early Buffett type investor, investing in companies that aren't really the top of the line, uh, but are absurdly cheap, and then you sell them once the market's correct? Or do you consider yourself more a uh, Buffett Munger type of investor buying high quality businesses with durable moats at a fair price? Um, Buffett said he crushed the index in the 50s and 60s with cigar butt investing, um, but only when he had small capital. So, do you believe that it's better to use cigar butt investing until an investor has enough capital uh, for them to go, then go to the Buffett Munger model of investing? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. There's a few questions, kind of a few answers in there. Um, So, in terms of the first part of that, definitely Buffett Munger type and probably leaning heavily on Munger actually. Um, Very much a very, very much have a, I have a very concentrated portfolio in of, of businesses that I think are really great companies that I've tried to buy at really good prices. And most of the time I do absolutely nothing. Um, I right. haven't invested significantly. I made a small investment late last year, but besides that, I hadn't, haven't invested significantly into a business since March and April of 2020. So, um, I am very, very happy to just sit back, relax and, and uh, invest heavily into a small number of great businesses. Mm. Um, but in terms of cigar butt investing, I don't know how to do that. Um, that's not something I've really looked deeply into. Um, it's not something I kind of... When I learned about Buffett Munger style investing, it kind of it kind of stuck out to me. It was kind of an aha moment. Like this is this is correct that it makes sense to want to invest your money significantly into high quality businesses as if you're owning the whole business or you're a big partner alongside the the founder. Um, that to me makes sense as a way of protecting your capital as well as giving it an opportunity to grow significantly. Um, investing in small businesses that are crappy businesses that are about most of them are about to go out of business and and sell a bunch of assets off and just cover their debts Uh, that's just not a a style of investing that um aligns with my values so i don't know um maybe it is but you'd have to ask someone who was an expert in that particular field yeah i think also it's it's it'd be quite difficult to implement the graham dodd cigar butt style uh, investment approach, especially with one of my key philosophies is to stay within your circle of competence. And the idea with the cigar butt thing is that you find a lot of cigar butts. You don't just kind of find one or two. Um, it's the idea is that you diversify across a lot of cigar butts and then some of them will flop, but overall you will get a good return because there might be some solid rebounds in there. Mm. Um, but I think f- if you're sticking within your circle of competence generally, maybe you do, maybe if you do imp- implement that diversified cigar butt approach, maybe you don't need to stick within your circle of competence as much just because you're protected more from the diversification. But one of my key rules is to always just stick to things that I understand. And, um, and I just don't think I would be able to find a lot of cigar butt companies that I can understand in kind of any market, especially in these kind of market conditions. But I'm, yeah, mm. certainly a Buffett, Mungus style investor. And yeah, I, I agree with what you say, actually, probably more Munger. People forget that a lot of the modern day Warren Buffett approach actually comes from Charlie Munger. Um, yeah. But yeah, I definitely agree with what everything that you say. And yeah, I'm, I'm much more in the camp of just 
chill out, relax, find, you know, occasionally find a good business and occasionally, very occasionally find it, that business selling it at a good price and then just buy it and then go and play tennis. <laughs> <laughs> go and play tennis. <laughs> and wait, wait for, play tennis for years, learn the piano, learn French until, until your business, uh, and until it's gone up over 10 or 20 years. So, yeah, yeah, exactly right. All right, guys. Well, yeah, we might uh, we might finish it up there. That was uh, well done, Hamish, for getting through that because uh, there was a lot <laughs> to cover it. today, and you're <laughs> you don't sound the best. <laughs> Not gonna no, lie, I don't. I don't feel the best. <laughs> no, but uh, oh, um, hopefully, hopefully you feel much better next week, and uh, hopefully, do you, so. Do you have to what get an, a, a negative test at some point before you can just resume to normal life? I, I don't think so anymore. Um, no, you just have just to wait fourteen the, days or something. It's just the seven days. Seven, seven days. days of oh, okay. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, yeah. Hopefully, you continue to 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 be on the mend over the next couple of days, and we uh, hit you with full enthusiasm next podcast. But uh, I, I feel kind of bad <laughs> making you do this podcast while you're sick. But <laughs> no, no. It's but right. you did. You did well. It. You pushed through it. You did well. Yeah, I, w- I needed to do something today, so it was yeah. good. It's good. Right. You're slowly getting back into the swing of things. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. And thanks, guys, for listening. Thanks for tuning in and uh, and for your continued support into uh, 2022. We hope that the last couple of episodes uh, uh, or the Q&A episode we, where we had a, a week off, we hope that that was useful and helpful and, and you still had a good time uh, listening to that. And we're back to regular programming today. So thanks, as always, for tuning in. Uh, of course, send, send any questions you might have uh, to send it to the uh, comments section of the most recent episode of the Young Investor Podcast on YouTube. So look us up on YouTube. If you have a question, drop it in the in the comments section of the most recent podcast. But apart from that, guys, um, thanks very much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week. See you guys. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>